America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. Ed, welcome. Hola. We are doing Verisage Laws Part 2. You know, the last time we did this show was July 24th, 2015. It was right before the SAGE Summit, and now we're mm. almost a year later, not quite, but we're also coming up on another SAGE Summit. We so. are, and yeah, some really fun announcements to, to talk about with regard to SAGE Summit, as, you know, aside from the fact that, that uh, you know, Ron and I will be there. And you know, you know who you have opening for us, Ron? No. Richard Branson is opening for us. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> he's agreed to be our opening act. Actually, no, he's going to be uh, clearly one of our keynote speakers, so we're pretty excited to have him. I hope I get a chance to meet him, and maybe we'll rope him into uh, coming over to the radio booth, which is the other exciting announcement that we believe that at uh, Sage Summit 2016, the soul of Enterprise will be represented again, so we're very excited about that. Now, there's some other big headline folks, too, at Summit, right? Gwyneth Paltrow, is that right? Gwyneth Paltrow, Ashton Cooker, Kutcher, Kutcher and, yeah. um, and, 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 of course, Zoe Deschanel. So, mm. which is who, who, who you, is, is in one of my son's favorite movies, Elf. She, oh, okay. <laughs> but she's done other stuff, too. So, and yeah. who's the entertainment? There's always a big band or the whatever. Killers. The, the Killers. The Killers. Yeah, that's right, yeah. The Killers. Cool. Now, yes. we have, uh, it was, it's neat because Branson just, I guess, was at a big blockchain conference somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I know he's got his eye on blockchain technology, and we can talk about that. But we've also got a very interesting guest coming to Sage Summit, too, that I'm really looking forward to. Yes. And are you talking about Daniel Suskind? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Daniel Suskind, who we've interviewed on this show, previous episode. Uh, by the way, we, we've shortened some of our URLs. We're trying to get, get around to doing all that and it make it easier for you folks to find some of your favorite shows. And uh, we're about halfway through, I should wear, I'm about halfway through getting through all of our interview shows. And what you'll need to do is just the soul of enterprise.com slash and, the, sh and the, the person's last name. And Suskind is one of the ones that's up. So if you just go soul of enterprise.com slash Suskind, S-U-S-S-K-I-N-D, you will get to the show where we interviewed Daniel Suskind. And we look forward to seeing him at State Summit. His book, The Future of the Professions, Ron, it's, it's just groundbreaking work, isn't it? 
It really is. I mean, and we've been talking about it on multiple shows, obviously. Interviewed Mark Coiseal, which was a really popular show. We got a lot of great feedback on that and also interviewed some lawyers about how it impacts the legal profession. And uh, one of the things I'm curious about, Ed, is if Daniel studied the blockchain. Yes, yes, because that, that was a, kind of a, a hole in the book, don't you think? I mean, I, I don't think it's hole. mentioned at all. Yeah, I don't think it is either. It's kind of a gaping hole, um, and <laughs> I'm sure he's I'm sure he's looked at it, and and you know that's probably their next book or whatever. But uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be great to be able to spend some time with Daniel. I think he's a brilliant guy. Yep. Yep. Now, we did a show with Doug Sleeter last week that got really, uh, wow, kind of went viral a little bit on, on Twitter, at least. It, uh, people seemed to really like it and got some tweets from it and some emails on it, and um, r- really great. So we just wanted to let you know, folks, that uh, we, we are going to be doing more on the blockchain. And Ed and I yesterday spent almost two hours talking to Doug Sleeter, uh, which will probably turn into a show, won't we, Ed? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do that as a, a re- or like a pre-recorded show that we'll send out, uh, and, but it'll it'll be released probably in the next month or so, depending upon scheduling, and and we'll we'll edit probably the best of because I, I think that the the conversation went went a, went a little bit too long for one show to air straight all the way through, so we'll we'll cut that down to the prescribed amount of time and and get that sent in and, and put it up. So we'll we'll be sure to let you know. But yeah, we really got into the the weeds on some of this stuff. It was a great conversation. So if you did listen to that episode last week, you you're not gonna wanna miss this this next this next iteration with Doug. He was really gracious to spend, like I said, two full hours with us, which was just outstanding. Yeah, and we were able to go um pretty deep on this because we 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 didn't feel time constrained you know with breaks or commercials coming up or whatever so it's going to be quite an editing job ed but uh there's some really (laughs) good content in there we covered some really good topics of blockchain technology and stuff that you know people have different opinions on and it's really fascinating well i think i think it was much it was more conversational than interview which i thought was good and i took a i think a page and a half of notes <laughs> during our conversation so yeah me too <laughs> yep um the other thing uh the show the prior week on uh the basic income idea you know we kind of yeah. talked about charles murray charles murray unbeknownst to me I, I think at the time that we did that show he came out like it was that weekend or the monday after that had, with a wall street journal uh, article uh, explaining the basic income, and he is updating his book in our hands. And Ed, I took our show notes and I put it, posted them over on LinkedIn, on on my influencer blog over there, and it got over thirty two thousand reads, with almost wow. two hundred comments. And wow. if you throw out the indecipherable comments, because some people just kind of rant and it's kind of incoherent, if you toss those <laughs> out. Um, and you look at for or against this idea, I'd have to say most people are against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, I can't say that I'd be too surprised about that because it, 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 the visceral reaction to it from most people is why should we pay people, you know, money money for nothing, as we posted in the in the, in the the show notes. But now I don't think it's necessarily money for nothing, but that's the visceral reaction, I think. 
It is, and its impact on work, and a lot of people say, well, this is going to, you know, create inflation and blah, 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 which is ridiculous, but uh, there, there, um, it was just really interesting, the, the, the reaction to it. Um, so, yeah, in, interesting, very interesting topic, and, and it did lose, by the way, and uh, where was it? Where, where did they hold the election? In uh, Switzerland, right? Switzerland. Yeah. Didn't it go down 77 77- 23% or something? Oh, yeah, it was two, two-thirds. I mean, two it was... Yeah, over. I think it was three-fourths. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. yeah and that was big. I mean, it just, just completely got shut down. And I, I think the the advocates of it were, were expecting that to be a little bit closer. So. Right, right. Yeah, pretty interesting. So and, when's and, the... And that, that brings up another thing. When's the Brexit run? Do you know when that is? Is that coming June 24th, up? June 24th, I believe. I, I, I think it's the June... I think it's next Friday. Oh, okay. the 22nd okay. or the 24th, but yeah, we're, we're a week in, we're a week away. So uh, I'm fascinated by that. I, I, you know, talking to our British colleague, Paul Kennedy, he thinks it's going to pass that, that they're going to stay in, that they're going to stay in. Mm-hmm. What do you think about it, Ed? Do you think they should vote to get out? I think they should vote to get out, but I, but I'm with Paul. If I were, if I'm a betting man, they're staying in. Have there's, you looked at the There's too much fear, uncertainty and doubt. Have you looked at the pre- have you looked at the prediction markets on it? I have not. I haven't. Yeah, me, me neither. I, I should do that. I should go to predicted.org and check that out. But uh, yeah. I, I'm with you. I I think they need to get out. I, I, I yeah, the EU is just it's a regulatory generating machine. I mean, it's a red tape generating machine. Yep. Yeah, and I, I just I don't see how it's helpful. But I guess the, there's just a lot of panic that if they don't belong that. There's there's going to be you know embargoes or a reduction in trade and uh, you know I just can't see that but you know hey I'm I'm not there so not right. not for me to vote on. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed, you were able also on the internet uh, to update our live events page, right? Yes, yes. So, so we just want to let you aware that that the live events page is now updated. So thesoulofenterprise.com, and I think it's slash live dash events. But if you just go to the Soul of Enterprise, there is a tab or a link at the very top where you can link to all that. And what we have there, Ron, is every session or webcast or a seminar that you and I are giving, I think it's through September now that I have, that, you, that, that, that folks can sign up for if, if, that are open to the public. Right. So if, if people are interested, including Sage Summit, by the way. So um, pr- pretty excited to have, have that up there. And just, this is just between you and me, Ron. But if you, if you use the Sage Summit link, they get a preferred price fr- from our uh, site. Right from our site. They don't even have to type in the code. Yeah. Nope. They don't even have to type in a code. They just got to click the button. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, that's yep. a good way to get a a preferred price. I love it. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> well, you'll love it. The, the the code the code is technically FOE, which stands for um, friend of Ed or friend of enterprise, <laughs> which is a foe, of course. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, folks, check that out on our website at the Soul of Enterprise. Ed, one more thing I wanted to share with you and our listeners is. I had the incredible privilege of attending a talk at the Independent Institute, which is a think tank in Oakland, California. Um, and this was on July 7th, so it's a couple of weeks ago. But uh, it was George Gilder, and he was talking yep. about his new book, The Scandal of Money. And, of course, I, you know, we've had Gilder on the show, I believe it was September 11th of last year. 
he's agreed to come back. He's kind of on a book tour now, so I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but we will definitely get him back to talk about this latest book, The Scandal of Money, which is kind of a, a continuation of his Knowledge and Power book. The two go mm-hmm. together really well, and he's basically synthesized a, a theory, a, a new theory, I think, of, of free markets, capitalism, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, that's, that's grounded in information theory, and now he's applied it to money. And I, I, I do believe it's Nobel Prize worthy. I, 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 it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And the more I think about it, the, the, the more I'm just shocked by its profundity. I mean, it really makes your head spin when you first hear it. But it was, it was just great to, to, get, uh, to get to hear him and, and have some time with him and listen, especially to some of the questions the audience was asking them because they were pretty sophisticated. So it was really interesting. Did, was there a video of that, Ron? There is, and we should post it on the show notes. Um, yep, I was I, it say, is let's up. Make sure it, to do that. It is finally up on the Independent Institute's website. So let's uh, let's get that uh, in the show notes, or or maybe even just give it its own <laughs> its own post because I think it's worthy of it. Um, but it mm-hmm. was it was just an excellent talk. It really was. Yeah, and you got a chance to to t- chat with him directly, right? I did. I did. I cornered him at the buffet table when he was alone. So <laughs> I accosted him. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. And you got him to agree to come back on the show at a future I, date, though, right? I did. I did. And he, he, he was very complimentary to uh, the interviews uh, or the interview that he's done with us because he said, you know, you guys prepare because he's been on this book tour and he's been doing a lot of radio and a lot of speaking. And, you know, some of the hosts uh, do not read the book ahead yep. of time so they're they really don't know what to ask them and and sometimes they duplicate i've heard some of the interviews and they're they're not the best <laughs> so yeah if we uh, get it well, well look we'll at this we're already we're already flashed through a, se- a a segment ron here oh by the way the brexit on on predicted is 6337 no no 6337 okay. no to the the exit but we're up against a break so we want to remind you that again when we talked a little bit about it during the segment go to the soul of enterprise.com for previews of upcoming shows as well as all of the previous shows that we've done our archives are available and you can get a hold of us if you send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com or uh, hashtag TSOE or at TSOE on Twitter, and we love those Twitter questions. And please do review the book uh, on, on online if you get a chance to do that as well. That we sure appreciate that, as well as the the podcast. Those reviews got, got folks are, are really like gold for us. They make a huge difference for us. But uh, right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. 
Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, folks. We're uh, talking about Verisage Laws, and since we did this back in July, uh, t- July 24, 2015, we're calling this part two. So this is something that we'll probably have multiple shows on, but um, we thought it was time to revisit it. And Ed, one of the things that we talked about is you know the definition of a law or an axiom or whatever these are. Some of them are more like laws. Some of them are more like axioms. But they're really kind of deeply held beliefs that we have and have accumulated over the years, mostly because of empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Yep. I mean, yep. you know, I used to believe the opposite of what some of these laws are, but I changed my mind because the empirical evidence convinced me that, you know, my, my former belief was wrong. And, and I noticed that some of these phrases or laws, axioms, whatever you want to call them, statements, uh, have, have just weaved their way into our language within Verisage or our vocabulary, you know, this yep. is how we talk. And I'm very cognizant of that, especially when I go to another group and hear how they talk. And it's just, wow, we, you, you'd never hear one of us say something like that or use that word. No. Yep. Yep. No, it really is uh, interesting how pervasive some of these things are in our language. So I agree with you there. <clears throat> And on, on just on the last show, just real briefly, we talked about five laws on that show. And I just, we're not going to duplicate any of them, but I just want to give folks a reminder of what they were. And you can go back and listen to that show on our archives from July 24, 2015. But we talked about Baker's Law, which was bad customers drive out good customers. And we talked about Kless's first law, which is he who liveth by the discount shall ye also perish by the discount, which I love. Uh, <laughs> And your second law, Ed, which is all measurements are judgments in disguise. And then yep. we talk about the uh, ideas are always and everywhere more important than their execution, which is kind of very controversial. And then we talked about the second law of medicine, prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, the first law of medicine is do no harm, right? Um, right, right. And one of the things that, you know, I mentioned on the last show, but I just want to reiterate it, Peter Thiel in his, uh, or Thiel, in his book Zero to One, he asks people a question before he hires them. He says, tell me something you believe that defies conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I love that question. 
And yeah. although not all of these laws do that, some of them do. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's a real interesting question. I started to use that, and it's really interesting to hear what people say about that. Yeah, no, that's a, it is a great question. It is a, a fantastic question because it, it, it forces them, first of all, to reveal a belief, I think, more than anything else, but but also to, to show how how out there they are on on be willing willing to challenge conventional wisdom. So And as Rabbi Lappin likes to say, you know, that we are defined humans are defined by their beliefs, not by what they know, not their knowledge. Yep, and I think nope, that's absolutely. really true. So Ed, let's dive in with our first law and okay. it is growth without profits is perilous. Yeah. So what do what does that mean? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think this is this is the inverse of the market share myth, which we've we've talked about. It's a way, a way of stating it in a po- in a positive light rather than a myth. But I think that that the, there's a lot of similarities here. You know, we we far too often organizations are just top line oriented. You know, if we if, especially professional firms who who have this belief that. Hey, every dollar is a good dollar. Therefore, every customer is a good customer. Therefore, every uh, hour is a good hour that we bill. And I mean, does, that doesn't even pass the sniff test, right? Because we know that once once you go past what was the quote unquote budgeted hours, that those those hours in the eyes of the customer are bad hours. They might be good in the in the eyes of the professional, but they're bad for the customer. So, you, how are you how are you growing is important. If you if you're growing just for the sake of growth, well, that's not going to work out so well. You've really got to make sure that you're growing from a profit standpoint. And I think, you know, th- this is still flying in the face of, of some companies that we see out there right now, right? The 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 NetSuites and and some of the some of the, the 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 cloud-based companies, some of them have not turned a profit yet. And I think it, it's not that we think that those companies are failures. They may v- very well turn out to be very profitable, but you just can't grow and think that that the bottom line will then take care of itself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell, which is another way of saying this. But you know, and, right. and you're so right about professional firms. I mean, I was taught back, you know, when I started my career from a big eight firm that professional firms are top line driven. That was yep. the mantra. Because our costs yep. are fixed, and you know, once we hit that break-even point, then it just flows to the bottom line. So, like you say, it in in that mindset, every dollar is a good dollar, every customer is a good customer. And of course, I never met a billable hour I didn't like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And it's just so perilous. And then the the other side of this is how many companies have you seen over the years, small business, medium, large, that have grown themselves into bankruptcy? Mm-hmm. Remember yep. Krispy Kreme? Yep. Yeah, Krispy that's Kreme exactly is, this, the example that I was going to give. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember when they were, you know, they, they had a panache and you had to drive hours to get to them. They, and then all of a sudden they became like Starbucks, man. They just grew topsy-turvy. And in fact, I think Starbucks took over a lot of their locations. <laughs> well, yeah, they did. And, you know, here's here's one of the, the issues with that is it, it, it's, a, it's a great example of going against your core. You know, their big thing was the hot now sign, right? Yeah, yeah. And, right. and, and in order to grow, in order to, to grow, they started selling 
the yesterday's leftovers in in the Kroger. You know what I mean? Yep. And yep. And all yes, sure, their sales went up, but I think it diluted their brand and what they stood for, which was hot now. Yeah, yeah, no, I never thought of that. True, that's right. They they started selling the Seven Eleven and airports and and all of that, and it just wasn't as special anymore. I mean, before it was like, you know, Pavlov's dog, mouth-watering experience to go to your Krispy Kreme, wherever it was. I mean, I remember Dan telling me, our, our colleague in San Jose, that, you know, it was like a two-hour drive, and they would do it as a firm to get these donuts sometimes for, you know, mm-hmm. customer meetings or whatever. And it's like, that's special. But, boy, when they're all over, it kind of loses that, that uniqueness. Although a, a two-hour drive in San Jose might only be about, what, 18 miles or something. Yeah, yes, yes, very true. <laughs> but, it, you know, the other thing about profit is, it, it, and we don't, we don't mean this to sound like that's all we care about, because you've got that great analogy, Ed, that, you know, people don't wake up and say, I need to produce, what is it, white blood cells today, right? Yeah, but, red blood cells, red blood red cells. Blood cells yes, right. red blood cells. But they're necessary for life itself, but it's not your major purpose and you know profit is is really the price that we pay for tomorrow it funds everything at r&d and better work environment all of that but it's also as gilder loves to say an index of your altruism and so it's not just profit for profit's sake because we're also saying profit on the customer side too aren't we that's right. I mean, I think that's the thing that people miss, and you know, we 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 always talk about that graph as as saying it's not it's and it's beyond just ROI. I mean, yes, ROI is the measurable component of the upside of the value, but there are so many things that are intangible, and we often think that that, that value ultimately, if you could measure it, which we don't think that you always can, is is sometimes double, triple, even quadruple the amount of value that you can quantify. So. Right. So I think the, the old saying here that, you know, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity is, is still got <laughs> a lot of validity to it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's not about the top line. It's really about what you keep. And, you know, profit is the price we pay for tomorrow. So I think this is a, this is a really important, important law that we have. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the one of the, I mean, and if you do look at what's the Richard Minotaur book, just example after example, right? And the one that I it's just stuck, sticks out in my mind so badly is Toyota versus General Motors, right? Yes. Um, and and how they're they're even even when General Motors was so much larger, Toyota was so much more profitable. Yeah. In fact, that I just read something on General Motors. Uh, in fact, it was in some of the professional pricing literature, the CEO uh, had cufflinks made up with 29 on them. 29 was their target market share. This guy was obsessed <laughs> with with the market share. And, and now I believe uh, GM's market share is like 19 or 18, 17%. So it's, it's gone mm-hmm. even further down. Um, but that's all they cared about was, was market share. It's, it's just that was a fixation. And it's mm-hmm. just such the wrong fixation. It kind of, it also kind of branches off to this idea that, you know what? No business is better than bad business. Yep. In, so, in, in some cases. And, well, and GM is almost a special case in, in and of itself in, in that it has basically become a pension fund that happens to make cars. Make cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, Very true. I mean, that's that's really the challenge because I think I think uh, the last 
crazy stat that I heard, and this was after the Minotaur book was published, was was that that GM and Toyota had pr- had produced. I don't know. I want to say it was like two thousand eight, nine, or ten, some, somewhere around there. But they had produced within five hundred cars of each other in one particular year, mm-hmm. and that I mean, mm-hmm. just that's an yes. incredible coincidence, right? Right, right. That they had they had sold that you know that that close to the number of cars, and you know GM of course did it at at a, at a significant loss, whereas Toyota did it with a significant profit. And <laughs> you're yes. just like, well, wait a minute. You know, the, did they have a pricing problem? I can't believe that that GM would have that much of a pricing problem. So it, it, it's clearly something else, right? And it's right. what it is right now is their 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 long term debt and the unions and all that stuff that they're paying off bad contracts from years ago. And I think some of the the recent problems that VW Volkswagen has had uh, along the same lines of thinking. It's all about market share. You know, they were obsessed with being the biggest. I think one year they were. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, this all depends on how you count, right? Because <laughs> they have right, lots of brands right. under their umbrella and all of that. But they they got up there, but they wanted to maintain that. They wanted to be bigger than Toyota, and you know, apparently that led to they say some of these emission, you know, falsifications and all of that. That you know, they're going to be paying billions of dollars out because of that. But uh, that it's just that mindset of growth for the sake of growth. I, I really do think that's that's really perilous without profits attached to it. Agreed. So, well, this is great. Uh, we got some other uh, controversial laws that pr- probably things that we believe, Ed, that nobody else does uh, that we'll explore <laughs> next. But, uh, folks, in the meantime, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so by emailing us at asktsoe at verisage.com. You can also follow us and tweet us live on Twitter. We are monitoring that at, at ask at, at Ask TSOE. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And here we are talking about Verisage Laws. This is a second half, well, not really half, but second part, I guess you will, of a show that Ron and I did almost a year ago about the various sayings and laws that we talk about when Ron and I are presenting as part of the Verisage Institute. And the first one we dealt with uh, in the first segment was that growth without profits is perilous. This next one, this is a much more wonky uh, so hang on to your hang on to your hats. This one is is a little, little bit a little difficult. I'm going to say this, and and some of you are. I can almost hear the groans from Mountain Radio Land, and that is that non-rival assets have more leverage than rival assets. And there, there's got to be about 95 percent of our audience, Ron, just went what what <laughs> what oh economics what what. <laughs> What the heck are you talking about? H E double hockey stick is going on here. All right. So first of all, let's let's define rival and non-rival assets, Ron. Right. And this is actually Ed, this is such a simple thing. And once you explain it to people, the you can see the light bulbs come on. This is a really, really sticky idea. A rival asset is a physical, anything physical. Like if I'm drinking a bottled water, that's a rival asset. It can only be in one place at one time. If I drink it, uh, the more I drink, the less for you, right? If I give it to you, now you have it and I don't, that type of thing. And it's also subject to diminishing returns. So that's a rival asset. Uh, a non-rival asset, though, is ideas or knowledge. If, if we give our listeners knowledge today or ideas, now they have them. But you know what? We still have them. We didn't lose them, right? Mm-hmm. And now we they can take those ideas, improve upon them, and use them, hopefully, to create value for their customers. And maybe even improve upon that knowledge where it circles back to us in some way, you know, via tweet, email, book, presentation, whatever. And, and usually it's subject to increasing returns. So... A non-rival asset obviously can be in more place in more places than than one at a time, right? Millions of us can enjoy the Harry Potter books or or movies without diminishing it for anybody else. We all use the same twenty-six letters of the the alphabet at the same time without diminishing it. The scientific method is a non-rival asset. All scientists around the world use it. It's a meta, you know, it's a meta invention basically, and so the power of knowledge uh, being a non-rival asset is incredibly scalable if you think about it, which is why we love to say that the ultimate source of wealth or wealth is knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you about this. So you talked about diminishing returns, and I think most people understand that is that that the the more you have of it, sometimes the, the less it's worth. Is that correct? So it, yeah. it, you, your 16 slice of pizza isn't as valuable as your first slice of pizza. Right, right. That and, right. and you know, if you do keep drinking the water, you're it's you know you're ultimately going to consume it. Where the right. the only thing that can happen, as we know, with knowledge is it can drop off a cliff, cliff and become obsolete, right? Yes. Yes. Great word. Uh, obsolete, <laughs> right? Yeah. Obsolete. Yeah. Obsolete. Tongue twister, but yes. Yeah. 
it's a good word, but it's just it's horrible to say. But yeah, no. Okay, so but what what about what about like the, a network, Ron? What would you say is that? Because because for example, the 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 value of a network is always has been 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 equated to the value of the number of nodes on the network uh, exponentially, right? So Square. if I have Right. Two, 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 yeah. right. So, no, well, the way it is, is it's like uh, the N is always, uh, so fax machine to the N. So two fax machines is worth, you know, squared, right? But once I introduce three, then it's actually worth three because I, uh, there's there's more connections. Right, right. right. So th- those are, so fa- a fax machine is itself a rival asset, but the, the network of fax machines would almost in a way be a non-rival asset, right? I would think so, yeah. And what's the name of that law? The, the, the law of networks. It's not Moore's law, obviously. It's uh, there's there's yeah, another. Yeah, that's what I'm describing here. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I what the name of it is. But it's and the the value of the network is equal to the ex is, is exponential value, right? The number of nodes is is really important, and we'll look that up and put it in the show notes. But okay, right. and, so. And, yeah, and that's what makes Facebook and all these other social media things useful, right? Because the more people that use them, the more valuable valuable they become, right? Correct. So, Correct. Same thing yep. with a two-sided, I mean, it's kind of like a two-sided market, like a credit card, right? Yeah, you want a credit card that lots of merchants take, but merchants also want <laughs> to accept credit cards that a lot of their potential customers have. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's right. kind of a two-sided market, a platform-type market. Yep, it's Metcalf's law. Metcalf's Metcalf. law. That's it. Yes. Yep. Yep. Metcalf's law. So, all right. So, so let's but let's dig down into this. And I think one of the things that is important about this law, because okay, because you just explaining it now, people maybe understand past the economics of it. But you know, wh- where's the so what and who cares here? So what and who cares? The so what, Ed, and it's and it, this is really counterintuitive because we have that saying: "What is it? Information wants to be free." Right. Mm-hmm. And yet there's an enormous difference between data, information and knowledge. And here's the counterintuitive point. Knowledge is really scarce. This is something that Thomas Sowell writes about. Right. And, and one of the ways he writes about it is he says, after all, the, you know, the, the Neanderthal in his cave had the same resources, access to the same resources that we do today. But the difference between his standard of living and ours is the knowledge that we could bring to bear on those resources. Right. We've taken those resources, turned them into the combustion engine and toasters and oil and right and all these other things that have increased our standard of living. And that's because of the leaps in knowledge that we've made. And knowledge of a time and specific place can even be incredibly rare. It's, it's a, it, it reminds me of that story about the, uh, the farmer who, who's, you know, has chickens and they're dying. So he seeks advice from a consultant. He goes to the consultant and the consultant recommends that the farmer play music in the coop, right? But the deaths continue. So the consultant then recommends, well, you got to change the lighting in the chicken coop, but the deaths continue. And so the consultant re- recommends that they repaint the chicken coop. Finally, all the chickens die. And the consultant tells the farmer, oh, that's too bad. What a shame. I had so many more good ideas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yep. and and when I first read that from Saul, I, that that spun my head around the idea that knowledge is rare, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you know Gilder loves to say that wealth is knowledge, and it's it's really true in, in a sense. 
wealth is, it is knowledge. Right. And then that, that again, translates to, to us, to the many of the professional firms that we, we work on. And you ask a very profound question once we talk about that, that law and you say, well, what is, the, what is the billable hour? Is it rival or non-rival? Right. And I guess and this, course, is what we, this is what we mean by the leverage in the law, right? That the non-rivals got more, is, is more leverageable. Mm-hmm. So, so the billable hour it, for the ethical professional, <laughs> for the ethical <laughs> professional, I stress, is a is a rival asset, right? Because what you can only that particular hour you can only give to one particular customer, right? right? Uh, yep. uh, and 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 there and therefore it, it's a, it's a rivalrous asset. And what the suggestion is, if you're going to then build a business, would you rather build a business on something that's rival or non-rival? Would you rather build it on the billable hours, or would you rather b- build it on 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 the the alphabet or ideas? And yep. you know, most people come back and say, "Well, not you know, non-rival." Okay, so therefore, <laughs> if you're going to build a business model around that, that's where you have to break with the past and, and stop thinking about things in terms of rival and non uh, rival assets and get, get away from the billable hour, billable hour. Yep. Yep. Another, another great, uh, sticky idea that I used to, to explain this concept is it's like, you know, a, a cake, right? Baking a cake, obviously a rival asset. The more I pig out on it, the less for you. But if I gave you the recipe for the cake. So if you think about some of these celebrity chefs, Right? They're kind of doing both. Yeah, they've got their restaurants that, of course, are rival. They can only serve so many patrons at a time. And, you know, if you're in there, I can't be in there type of thing. But they've also got their show, their TV shows, and they've got their cookbooks and, you know, mm-hmm. other things that are non-rival. And then that's why they, you know, they're like rock stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. they're coming up Perfect with the recipe stuff. It's not just the the physical output, you know, of making a meal. It's it's the ingredients and the right. knowledge behind it. Although Watson's coming out with the recipe book now, I, is he really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, I don't know. I'm just making that up. But he did do he did with the IBM Watson did 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 create some recipes that I do know. Yeah, they serve them in Austin, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, they're they're pretty good. <laughs> amazing amazing stuff recipes by computer so but, well wow ron i think we should probably jump to our uh, we're a little bit early for it but i think we should do our our next break right now to give us a little bit more time to to, to finish up on another law because uh, again this is is flying by so quickly so we want to again remind you to get a hold of us ask tsoe at verisage.com at TSOE on Twitter and hashtag. We, and we do maintain uh, looking at that during the show, so we'll quick check that when we're on our next break, which will be from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. 
Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody here doing verisage laws part two and the first one we did was growth without profit is perilous and the next one was non-rival assets uh, are more leverageable than rival assets. And Ed, the third one comes from a dinner that I had with Dan Morris and our good friend Rick Payne, who uh, is kind of a legend in accounting circles. From He created the uh, Results Accountants Boot Camp, partnered with Paul Dunn, who I wrote the Firm of the Future with uh, back in the day. And we were at dinner one night. We got into this argument, and I forget what the argument was even. And Dan looked at Rick and blurted out, he said, yeah, but Rick, in the real world, debits don't equal credits. <laughs> and you should have seen the look that, that Rick gave him. I mean, it was like, what? That, that's Talk about heretical or you know, mm-hmm. or blasphemy to, to say to an accountant. But when you really dive into this, it's really true. In the real mm-hmm. world, debits don't equal credits. And yep. one of the simple ways to explain it is if you went to Starbucks this morning and spent, you know, five bucks on a latte, yeah, we know how Starbucks is going to book that transaction. Five bucks goes to sales and, you know, five bucks goes to cash. But assuming you go home or to your business and record it as a transaction on your books, you're also going to record it at the same five bucks. So what it leaves off is what about the customer's profit? We both know the only reason you bought it was because it was worth more than $5. Now, whether Mm -hmm. that's $5.10 or five and a quarter or $6 or 10 because you're incredibly hungover, I don't know. But I don't need to know. All I need to know is that it, you had to have thought it was worth more than the five bucks you paid, which means that accountants have foisted this idea on the world that transactions are of equal value. But that's precisely false. The only reason we transact is because we have inequal perceptions of value. I value the, right. the apple more than the dollar you're selling it for, and you value my dollar more than you value the apple you're selling me. Right, so mm-hmm. transactions are based on inequality of value, but when you book it in accounting terms, 
it makes it look all even and all hunky-dory debits equal credits. Um, so it's one of the problems with the trade deficit and the way we account for that. So, right. But that's a really counterintuitive point. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, fi- the traditional financial statements, the balance sheet. And I know I'm talking to somebody who works for an accounting software company, but the, right, income right. State, the, <laughs> the balance sheet, the statement of cash flows, you know, these are the three blind mice. Because first off, they look backwards. So accounting uh, is, is only designed to record a transaction after it takes place. It has nothing to say about value in the future because mm-hmm. accounting is not a theory, right? It's an identity equation. So it, to ask generally accepted accounting principles gap to mark to market, for instance, you know. Right, 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 right is asking it to do something that it's not capable of doing until there's a transaction. How can I mark your house right now on your, say, personal financial statement uh, based on its fair market value without you engaging in the transaction? Sure, I can guess. I can go out and I can get listings. But you could end up selling your house for 100000 more than what an outside realtor thinks it's worth because you've maybe put all of these improvements into it, right? Mm-hmm. Or it might be worth a lot less. And we think we won't know until you sell it. Well, accounting doesn't know until you engage in a transaction. So that's a big part of its problem. And, you know, there's a great, uh, great professor of accounting. He's kind of a curmudgeon. He's always been a big critic of accounting, even though he's a professor of accounting. His name is Abraham Brilloff. And he said um, that he said financial statements are like bikinis. What they show is interesting, but what they conceal is significant. <laughs> and and if you look at traditional gap accounting, it only explains about fifteen percent of the market capitalization of companies. So, for instance, if you look at Google's book value or Apple's book value versus its market capitalization value, right? They're worlds apart because right. again, gap can't say anything about values, and therefore. When, you know, Facebook buys WhatsApp for $18 billion, my guess is WhatsApp's book value is, <laughs> you know, if it was a million dollars, I'd be shocked. Um, they're going to book that difference into goodwill. Well, goodwill right. is just a, a word that we use to describe our ignorance, right? That's yeah. really Let, the, yeah. yeah, that's really the portion above the five bucks that you value the latte from Starbucks as. That's goodwill. But we don't put that. It doesn't even get accounted for in our GDP. Yeah. Let, let, let's, just, let, let's just give it get, and say that WhatsApp was valued at $19 million. <laughs> you still, you're still way off. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> you're still, you're I, yeah, still I off by imagine, a factor of 1,000. So. I can't imagine with what, whatever it was, 30, 30 employees, 50 employees, uh, what was their book? You know, they had some desks and some computers, you know. Well, some of it was, I think it was contract programmers in in Georgia, the the country, not the state, too. Yeah, so. yeah, that's. <laughs> but it's a but so. it's a really in, in, in intuitive or counterintuitive point that you know first off we're not you know, accounting records don't account for the customer's profit because when accountants talk about profit they they always mean the sellers but when economists look at a transaction they look at both the buyer and the seller. And they say both sides have to make a profit. 
even though they don't call it that. They call it consumer surplus, which doesn't mean anything to anybody. Um, so we just started calling it customer profit. And I know you've got this really cool graph that illustrates this that we talk about all the time when we, when we show this. But it, it's really an important point because we look at accounting and we think, wow, accounting explains everything. Accounting explains very little. Mm-hmm. And it certainly doesn't say anything about the future. I mean, it's the old joke that, yeah, the auditor can, can audit the drunk's bar bill, but he can't tell you why he's an alcoholic. Yeah, and and well, and this 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 leads me, of course, going back to the, my my roots and and stories of my dad and parsing words is, if you would just parse the word transaction a little bit, you would be able to peel the onion on this in about thirty seconds because, the 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 prefix trans one of the meanings is beyond, right? So right. It, when when you say transaction, you mean there there's something going on beyond the action, right? Yep. Beyond the action of, of this exchange, there, there's something that's happening. And what the something that's happening, I believe, is, the, is this creation of value on both sides. So it's beyond just the action. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely, when I first heard you say that, it was like, wow, that's it. Because not only is it the value created in that transaction, but it's also the experience created or the transformation created as a result of that interaction with the customer and also the loyalty it's the reciprocity right it's the customer returning mm-hmm. and buying more and that's what's missed in the math of the moment with when you're doing accounting or cost accounting or say it's one of the worst things about the timesheet is it totally ignores the investments that we need to make in relationships for for customer loyalty yes Yep. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that you know that's that's really the key. And and boy, it, you're you're right. Going back to your dinner, it stunned Rick. But that but that that phrase continues to stun people when we when we say it out loud, especially in a group of accountants. So w- w- usually, what happens is groups of accountants g- give us this kind of shocked deer in the headlights look. But if we speak anywhere else, like when we, I think we said this at, at the the Professional Pricing Society conference, then everybody laughed because they get it. That's the that's really the bizarre part is that if you're not an accountant, you're like, yeah, duh, debit store equal credits, of course. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and and you know, at the, the traditional accounting model is over 500 years old. I mean, you can go back to you know. Pacioli's book. In fact, I have a copy of his original, you know, 28 pages on double entry bookkeeping. And if you think about it, all we've done in this 500 year span from 1494, whenever he published that, is we've added more rules and rules to it, like mark to market and all these other things. But I think accounting suffers from what philosophers call a a deteriorating paradigm. The theory gets more and more complex to account for its lack of explanatory power. <laughs> and since accounting, since you know we live in the knowledge economy, and a gap treats you know investments in the most important source of knowledge, which is human capital, according to the World Bank, eighty percent of the developed world's wealth resides in human capital. Well, what does gap do with it? It expenses it on the income statement. It's not an asset to them. They don't know how to account for it. I'm not suggesting it should account for it as an asset. I, I think that would be really wildly messed up. But but that said, 
that's why it can't account for the value of human capital or the value of Coca-Cola or, or Apple's brand until somebody buys it. <laughs> so Gap just can't look forward. It can only look backwards. And as we love to say, running your company, you know, looking at your financial statements is like timing your cookies with your smoke alarm. So that's that's the third law, folks. Is in the real world, as Dan Morris said, debits don't equal credits, and I just love that. So, Ed, what's on uh, what's on store for next week? Well, before I get for it to next week, but I just want to mention that Dan Morris will also be at Sage Summit 2016. So please uh, right. do visit w right www.sagesummit.com. Well, actually, go to our website and get the extra bonus preferred price for Summit. So we want to make sure you do that. But yes, uh, next week we got on tap, Ron. Our favorite shows, Free Rider oh. Friday. Right on. I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people, smart technology. Join us next week, folks, at Friday. On Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, we'll be doing Free Rider Friday. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.